I want to encourage you right now, if you get your Bible out with me, we're going to jump into week two of a series that we're calling Upside Down Kingdom. Go ahead and find your way to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to join you there in just a few moments, but uh, as we started this series last week, we started talking about what appears to be an upside down kingdom from the world's perspective. Some of the things that Jesus invites us into just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems backward. It seems, it seems counterintuitive. One of the things we talked about last weekend was the, the reality that in the kingdom of heaven, the way up is down. In fact, Jesus said, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the gateway into this kingdom is humility. It's to bow low. The way up is down. He who humbles himself will be exalted in due time. Last week, we touched on this reality of the kingdom, that the weak are made strong. I know in our culture, it's survival of the fittest. It's a dog-eat-dog world. But in the kingdom, the weak are made strong. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can't even enter the kingdom. And so we see the paradox of the kingdom of God. And I just want to say to all of us today that more than anything else, The kingdom of God is the primary focus of Jesus' earthly ministry. All the things that he talked about, all the subjects that he taught on, it was primarily about the kingdom. In fact, in in Matthew chapter 4, something very significant happened. Listen to this verse in Matthew 4, 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Now, imagine this. Jesus has been on the earth for 30 years. When Jesus was born of a virgin, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. How many of you know that's true? He was fully God. He didn't become God at age 30. He was fully God in the flesh, dwelling among us. And yet, the, the governor of the Holy Spirit held back his ministry until this moment. And now, all of a sudden, John the Baptist is in prison. Something is shifting. Something is happening. And if you move a little farther down in that same chapter, verse 17 says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Now, this is an important moment. I mean, this is the first time he's begun to preach in 30 years. He begins to preach. Can I just tell you, church, whatever comes next in the text is of primary importance. This is critical. What is the Son of God finally going to say now that his ministry is getting started? Look at it. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the purpose that Jesus came to the earth. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven in our midst. And, and right now, you know, we look across our, our, the pages of our newspapers and, and, and our social media feeds, and, and it all just reiterates and underscores the reality that our world is spinning out of control. Can I get a witness? Our world is spinning out of control. And I want to tell you that the, the word that God has put on my heart for this season, I believe is so important, is that as the body of Christ, we need to now, like never before, embrace the kingdom. We need to embrace the kingdom of God, above all else, above social reform, above social justice, above political party lines, we need to be about the kingdom of God above all else. 
And oftentimes when you embrace the kingdom of God, you embrace what looks like an upside down concept. But I want to challenge you to lean into it. And today I want to give you one of those upside down kingdom concepts. Jesus, when he invites us into the kingdom, he invites us to do something. And you're going to want to write this down because this is going to bless you. When I say this, it's going to probably inspire you a little bit. It's probably going to help get you through this week. You're probably going to want to write it on on a note and put it on your refrigerator because it's that kind of an invitation. Are you ready for it? Should I keep hyping it up or are you going to help me preach today? Here it is. Make me feel like a used car salesman up here sometimes, man. We're in church, folks. This is good news. Here it is. Lose your life. Doesn't that just make you feel all good inside? Lose your life. That's the invitation of the upside down kingdom. Jesus invites us to lose our life. Now, listen, all things 2020, we get it. It brings out the best and the worst in us, doesn't it? Crisis always reveals character, crisis brings out the best. In people. We've seen a lot of great things in 2020. We've seen people go above and beyond the call of duty. We've seen people serve others. We've seen people sacrifice. We've seen generosity at at levels that we didn't expect to see. Even in our own church, we've seen God do incredible things through the best of people. But in spite of that, the reality is while we've seen countless displays of selflessness around us, it seems the prevailing motivation of our society is self-preservation, isn't it? It's just to watch out for ourselves. It's human tendency to be inward-focused, inward-focused. That's why one of our core values as a church is outward-focused. We recognize that if we don't focus on being outward and intentional about other people, we are never going to arrive there coincidentally. We're always going to drift back to inwardness. We're always going to drift back to self-focus. Selfishness is our default setting. And there's two expressions that I've seen over and over and over again in 2020 in the body of Christ. So I want to just point them out to you. Don't get nervous. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. All right? So like, just hear this and encourage them. But here's how I see it. And one of those revelations of self-preservation is what we're calling the heresy hunters. The heresy hunters are those in the body of Christ that are taking out their frustrations of 2020 on the church. Have you ever felt like you've been taking on friendly fire in the kingdom of God? You know, there's those men and women in the kingdom that they just feel like it's their, it's their God-given responsibility to point out what's wrong with the rest of us. <laughs> Listen, there is a diversity of gifts in the kingdom, but can I just clarify, criticism is not a spiritual gift, okay? It's just not. It's not a gift of the spirit, but there's a lot of people in the church that are putting their energy, they start conversations like this. The problem with the church is, if Christians would just, right? It's amazing how the heresy hunters always have the new revelation. Like God's already, he revealed something to them. Here's what I've noticed about their revelation. It's always 
their revelation is always an evaluation of somebody else's spirituality. Like God told me, but he always told you about me. Like, don't you wish God would say something to them about them? Like, I, I really think God's got a word for you about you. Like, stop telling me what God wants me to do. Heresy hunters. You know, I see on the other side, though, I, I see what I want to call the bunker believers. They're the ones that just want to hunker in a bunker and outlast the rest of us. Like, they decided a long time ago that the mission is not saving the lost, it's surviving the longest. Like, we're just going to make it through. You know, their theme song is, is, is Hold the Fort. That's, that's the bunker believers. And they've become completely void of empathy for a lost and a dying world. Because I got my own problems. I got too much going on in here. And all of a sudden, it becomes inward focused. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he talked about both of those. And I will get to Matthew 16 with you in a minute. But let me show you what, what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He said in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's those bunker believers. That's the one that's just thinking about me. What, what's in it for me? I, I'm going to just kind of make it through. I'm a, as long as I'm good, we're good, without thought for others. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That, that's the, the heresy hunters. They always kind of put themselves on another level of super spirituality, even if it means putting you down to another level to justify it. He said, don't operate that way in selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but rather each of you to the interests of others. Rather than remaining stuck, inward focused in self-preservation, Jesus invites us into an upside-down kingdom, and here's his invitation. Matthew 16, are you there? Here's the invitation. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Lose your life. That's the invitation of the kingdom. If you want to follow me, lose your life. You know, there's been a lot of talk in, in 2020 about safety, caution. You know, if we all work together, we, we flatten the curve. My mask helps you. Your mask helps me. We all understand that, right? Now, don't get nervous. This isn't a political speech here, all right? I mean, we literally just read in Philippians 2 that you should consider others above yourself. So I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, that we shouldn't be cautious, that we shouldn't be careful. Absolutely, we consider one another. But we've gotten so focused in that I wonder if sometimes we've forgotten that the mission of the church was never safety. It's not our mission. I listened to a podcast this week of a CEO of an NBA team. And this, this CEO was talking about 
like what it takes to, to lead an organization like a, a professional basketball team. And, and I'm listening to the podcast, and all of a sudden, I hear this person. They said, our number one priority is safety. And I'm listening, and I thought, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, this isn't a, a police chief. This is not the Surgeon General. You are the CEO of a professional basketball team. Your number one priority is not safety. You got to win basketball games, right? I mean, you think your number one priority is safety. Stop worrying about winning. Stop drafting top-tier athletes. Just see if anybody shows up to keep safe. Like, they're going to forget about you. They're going to close the doors. But doesn't that sound like such a perfectly politically correct answer in 2020? Doesn't that just seem like the thing you should say? We are, our priority is safety. It matters more to us than, than anything else. And I just wonder today if maybe in the kingdom of God, we've fallen into the trap of replacing a desire for significance with a desire for safety. Can I just say, if the depth of your prayer life is God, watch over us and protect us today. If that's the, I mean, that's not a bad prayer, but if that's as far as it goes, you've missed the purpose that God has for your life in the kingdom. If you get up in the morning and and you pray for your kids before they go to school, before they go onto their mission field, before they go to that bottleneck of civilization that everybody goes through where they're most reachable for the sake of the gospel, and all you pray is God protect them, you're missing their God-given purpose. Now, hey, nothing wrong with praying for God's protection. I pray it over my kids every day. I, I, I intend to, to lead for a long time in the same direction, and, and I need to be healthy to do that. So, by the way, I noticed all the preachers on the appreciation video were really ripped. I was like, <laughs> I don't know where these guys are preaching. Did anybody else notice that? Like, those guys were pretty cut. I was like, I don't think those guys pastor here. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> the truth will set you free. <laughs> we need God's safety. We need his protection. But safety was never the mission of the church. You ever heard somebody make the statement before, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? I've heard that statement all my life. Maybe, maybe you never have, but maybe you're just not responding. <laughs> the safest place to be is the center of God's will. And, and that's a comforting statement. Again, you know, might look good, crocheted on a pillow in your house. <laughs> but when I think about that statement, I mean, what does that even mean? The safest place to be is the center of God's will. If that's true, I can't help but wonder, like, how did that work out for Stephen? You guys remember Stephen? He preached one sermon, and they stoned him to death. Like, that was it. I mean, I got to be honest. I, I, I've had some bad sermons before, but sometimes I take consolation in this. I go home, and I just think, well, at least they didn't throw rocks, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I got one up on Stephen, I guess. But, I mean, how does that work? How does it work to say the safest place to be is the center of God's will when the word that is translated as witness is the same word for martyr? How does it work for the Apostle Paul? Have you read his testimony about his life? The the Apostle Paul 
said in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I know what it is to hunger and to thirst. I have gone often without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. I can't imagine meeting Paul in heaven and him telling me, the safest place for me to be was the center of God's will. I I just found that when I was there, like nothing harmed me. You know, one of the first uh, recordings of that statement, it was actually a, a word of encouragement that Betsy gave to her sister, Corey Ten Boom. And Corey Ten Boom wrote it down in her diary. The safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. But for Corey and her sister Betsy, the promise of safety in the center of God's will had to be fleshed out in the Nazi concentration camps of the Jewish Holocaust. And although Corey lived to tell the story, Betsy didn't. And so Betsy's statement to her sister was, was not some profession of, of, of reassurance, of, of this safe little bubble of obedience to God. No, her statement was a declaration that to walk in the character of Christ is always the right choice. It's always the right choice regardless of the outcome or the consequences. The safety of God's will is not an exemption from pain in this life. It is an assurance of a life to come. It's a guarantee that you can take everything from me, but I still have confidence because I know my life is hidden in Christ's hands. I want to challenge us, church, that when we listen for the voice of our king, that we don't let his voice get muddled with the sounds of American culture, but that we really hear what he's calling us to. God's will for us is less about our comfort, and it's more about our contribution. He cares a lot more about your significance than he does your safety. See, God created you so that your life would count, not just so that you could count the days of your life. Here's here's my struggle today. I'm inviting you to an upside-down kingdom, and I'm telling you the invitation is lose your life. Here's, here's what I have been painfully reminded of this week. Nobody gets excited about losing. Nobody gets motivated with an invitation to take a loss. Even when I was preparing this message, I, I kept kind of coming up with the quali- qualifying statements. I, what I really wanted to say to you today is your willingness to lose your life doesn't outweigh God's desire to bless you. And that's true. 
That's what I really wanted to say to qualify this invitation. What I really wanted to say was Jesus doesn't ask all of us to die for him, but he does expect us to live for him. That's true. What I really wanted to say to kind of make this a little bit more palatable and maybe even get a couple more amens today was I wanted to say you can't outgive God, give him your all, and he'll give you his all. Amen to that. What I wanted to say is to remind you that God is better to you than you deserve. Those are all true. That's what I wanted to say. But if I just look at the invitation, if I just say what Jesus said, we got to recognize that when he gave this invitation into the kingdom, he didn't bubble wrap it. He, He didn't sugarcoat it so that it would be more appetizing. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But anyone that loses their life for my sake will find it. That's the invitation. And so what we have to do is we've got to reevaluate what's valuable in our lives. If you can picture the, 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 the scales of justice... The Apostle Paul took took all the things that were good about his life, all the blessings, all all the things that would be on the resume, all the things that that would impress other people. He took all of those things and he placed them on one side of the scale. All all the things that are Instagrammable, you know, the stuff that, that looks filtered and good and you want everyone to know these things about you. He put them all on one side of the scale. And then on the other side of the scale, he put Christ. Here's what he said about that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, those things, they're they're not even gains anymore. And, And then he said, you know what, let's have some real fun with this. Let's not just look at the successes Let's not just look at the the trophies and the accolades and and the likes and the the hearts. Let's let's put everything else on this side. Everything except Christ. Let's put Christ over here and everything else. Look at the next verse. Paul says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all Things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That was, that was Paul's conclusion. He said, when I look at everything in this life, everything that I could have, everything that I do have, everything that you think of me, it's garbage. It doesn't even need to be on the scale anymore in comparison to the glory of knowing Christ. He far outweighs it all. I was reading some writings from Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers from over a century ago. And he he wrote about the cross that we're invited to carry. When I read this, you'll know why he was called the Prince of Preachers. I want to read it to you. He said, Beloved, the cross is not made of feathers or lined with velvet. It is heavy and galling to disobedient shoulders. 
but it is not an iron cross, though your fears have painted it with iron colors. It is a wooden cross, and a man can carry it. For the man of sorrows tried the load. Take up your cross, and by the power of the Spirit of God, you will soon be so in love with it that like Moses, you would not exchange the reproach of Christ for all the treasures of Egypt. Remember that Jesus carried it, and it will smell sweetly. Remember that it will soon be followed by the crown. And the thought of that coming weight of glory will greatly lighten the present heaviness of trouble. The Lord help you to bow your spirit in submission to the divine will as you fall asleep this night that waking with tomorrow's sun, you may go forth to the day's cross with the holy and submissive spirit which becomes a follower of the crucified. It's not velvet lined. It's not a cross of feathers. But a man can carry it. And he invites us to take up the cross and to carry it with him. I want to invite the worship team to come back, and as they do, I, I want to answer a question. What does it really mean to deny yourself? What does it really mean to take up your cross? Can I tell you what denying yourself does not mean? Denying yourself does not mean just denying things. H hear me, church. That's asceticism. And Jesus spoke really clearly and strongly against asceticism, this idea that somehow I'm more spiritual if I'm less happy. There's a lot of people that live that way. They just think that, you know, the more, the more sad I am, the more sorrowful I am, the more spiritual I must be. I heard one Southern preacher talking about sad Christians. He said, they're so long in the mouth. They can stand up straight-legged and lick buttermilk out of a gopher hole. <laughs> That's a long face. Some people, they think that I'm more spiritual because I'm unhappy. Here's what Jesus said about that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, he said, For John, the Baptist, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, well, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So in other words, John totally abstained. Jesus went to the party, and, and the religious people, they had a problem with both of them. But, but here's Jesus' response. He said, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. You're not more spiritual by being less happy. You never achieve holiness by subtraction, okay? That, that, that's kind of the, the way some of us grew up, you know? We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't date the girls that do. That was, that was it, like, that was, that's holiness right there. Paul, Paul the apostle spoke so clearly against asceticism. When, when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 
He said, the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Wow. Who are those people? Who operate with spirits of demons and have no conscience. Who are they? Look at what he says. They forbid people to marry and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. What is he saying? You don't don't become holy by just abstaining from stuff. So when Jesus said deny yourself, he didn't just mean deny things. He didn't just mean you know, be a hermit, go live in some monastery up in the mountains, escape the world that I called you to, and then you'll be holy. No, to deny ourselves is to deny our selfish ambition and our vain conceit. It's to deny our sinful desires. It's to deny being inward focused. What does it actually mean to take up your cross? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. To take up your cross does not mean that you have to carry burdens that Jesus never meant for you to carry. I've heard people do this before. They'll they'll look at the issue they're dealing with in their life, like maybe it's a physical sickness, and they'll go, well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. Or rebellious kids, you know, well, I guess that's just the cross he wants me to bear. Or, or an alcoholic partner. And you go, well, you know, I guess that's just my cross to bear. That is not your cross. That is not your cross to bear. To bear the cross means to identify with Jesus Christ in his rejection, in his shame, in his suffering, in his death. In John chapter 13, Jesus told the disciples, I'm about to go bear the cross. And, you know, Peter, in all of his exuberance, he's like, I'll go with you. I'm I'm ready to bear the cross, too. Let's do this. Jesus said, you're not ready to bear the cross. In fact, you're going to deny that you even know me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. You're not ready to bear the cross. But he also told him, you will. You will. One day, you will. Now, I... I don't know if maybe you're in that place of going, I don't know if I'm ready. I I mean, I I mean, this feels so counterintuitive to the wisdom of the world. I don't know if I'm ready to go all in on denial of self and take up the cross and follow Jesus. But Peter, for all of his blunders, had some really great moments. And one of them came in John chapter six because Jesus was teaching and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts saying some upside down stuff. He starts saying some things that is, they're not popular. And John tells us that the crowd started leaving. Like in droves. They started leaving. And Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says, are you going to go too? Are you going to leave too? And This is a moment of genius for Peter because I I love his response. It's in John chapter six, verse 68. It says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. I love that. I love that in this moment, Peter acknowledges something. Like, I mean, if I'm looking at the scales, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that I'm giving up. And, and, and what you're offering, I don't even fully understand. It doesn't even make sense to me. But, but I know this much. You have the words of eternal life. I, I know this much to be true. Without you, I'm nothing. So in that moment, Peter just says, you know what, basically, I don't have to. I don't have to understand everything you're doing. I don't have to understand everything that you're saying right now. What I do understand is that you're the savior of the world. That you have the words of eternal life. And so Peter just kind of makes up his mind in that moment. He says, hey, if none go with me, still I'll follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And I hope that you've come to that place.